Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling. Welcome. You are listening to the Hustle Points NBA show. I am a weird hypothetical, Rudy St. Clair, and this is the first video show of Hustle Points entirely, but it's also the season two debut, and you might be wondering, why am I wearing these glasses? It's, um, it's really, there's no good answer. I, uh, I just like it. And if you're not wondering why I'm wearing these glasses, then that's because you are an audio listener. Uh, and if you're an audio listener, then you're still going to get almost everything there is to get out of the show, regardless of it be just this episode or any other video episode later on in the future. But I have full intentions of keeping the quality of programming for the audio listeners just as high, if not higher, uh, than people listening and watching to the video shows so today we are getting into the top 100 players of the 2020 NBA season. Uh, according to my predictive opinion, uh, there will be no rookies on this list. There won't be any factoring in of legacies or anything like that. You know, just because LeBron might be a top two player of all time does not necessarily mean that he is the best player in the league. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not. Um, so, without any further ado, uh, let's just go ahead and get into it. For the people watching at home rather than listening, there will be one Easter egg. Uh, really, Easter egg's not the best way to put it, but there will be one extra feature for you people watching the video. And that will be this honorable mentions slide, uh, the not quite top 100 uh so if you want to see who is on the list of tier one not quite top 100 and tier two not quite top 100 then go ahead and google hustle points or search it in youtube and it will come up and subscribe there uh while you're at it follow me on twitter at mba underscore rudy and without any further ado here we go at number 100 we have mitchell robinson He's only 21 years old, potentially an elite defender already, definitely an elite shot blocker, but like any young player, he has problems maintaining uh, a sort of discipline on the court in order not to rack up a bunch of fouls or take too many chances on blocks. Uh, blocks can often be a misleading stat in terms of communicating the defensive quality of a big man especially because there's no way to measure, oh, there might be a way, but we don't do it but there's no performed measurement of missed blocks. And missed blocks are often not good shot contest. So really, he has the potential to be an elite defender, lots of tools, and he had a really, really great summer league statistically. However, I'm not gonna pretend that I watched a bunch of summer league, and I've heard mixed reviews about whether or not it was actually a good summer league for him. So that is why I got him right here at number 100. It was kind of a coin flip between him and Bam Abadayo, uh, Abadayo, Abadayo, whatever. Bam Bam Abadayo could have also made this number 100 slot just as easy as Mitch Rob. Really just a coin flip. At number 99, we have Jonas Valanciunas. 
the black hole of the Grizzlies offense for the 2020 season, uh, future six man behind Triple J, inevitably uh, Triple J is going to take over the starting center role once he matures a little bit more. We're going to see a lot of that this season. But until that happens, uh, he will be stuck at the power forward spot, meaning that JV is going to be maybe the premier featured offensive player. He's definitely going to be our reliable scorer down there low in the post. I mean, in his short stint with the Grizzlies, he was essentially a 20 and 10 guy. Uh, fine defender, nothing special. He's going to have the quietest 20 and 10 type of season that maybe we'll ever see because not a lot of people really pay attention to the Grizzlies unless you're a weirdo like me. You know, shout out to a fast break breakfast for not only showing me love, but also providing me with these uh, Believe Memphis glasses, which I got fucking autographed by John Morant at a, at the baseball game that he attended here in Nashville. So that was really cool. <laughs> Moving on, at number 98, we have Kelly Oubre, who is super pretty. Uh, maybe I'm just biased because he's just so goddamn attractive. But he averaged 17 a game on good efficiency at 55.5 true shooting percentage. Uh, great second or third scoring option from the wing position who might average uh, over 30 minutes a game this season. And he's only 23. And the Suns aren't going to be that bad this season. Like, they're not going to be good per se, but they're, they're not going to be bad. Especially with Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre both starting for them next to Aiton and Booker. Uh, they're, they're not a bad squad. And Kelly Oubre is going to be a big reason that they're not a bad squad. At number 97, we have Colin Sexton, who put up slightly worse numbers than Oubre last year. Uh, however, he is a point guard, uh, and he really doesn't do much on defense, but he's only 20, and a lot of the times, uh, young guards tend to get better in their second season by a very significant amount. And I think Colin Sexton has the potential to be not quite as good as like a Damian Lillard, but that sort of player. I think him and Garland have the long-term potential to be similar to Lillard and McCollum. Uh, however, right now, uh, I'm just assuming that he's going to make a significant jump from his rookie season and be a lot better on defense, at least not a complete and total net negative. And ultimately, I expect him to perform right around the entry level of the top 100 players in the league at number 96 uh very far away from a colin sexton type player is thad young he is a key intangibles type of guy for the pacers last year a lot of people give him credit for keeping the locker room afloat after the oladipo injury and he does a lot of little things that don't show up in the box score uh plays solid defense and ultimately just contributes to winning basketball more than most players in the league by a lot. So that is why he is slotted here at 96. The Bulls are going to value him very highly as their third big man. Uh, at number 95, we have Joe Harris, who is a lights-out three-point shooter. Uh, great third option uh, for the Nets right now. Uh, ultimately... He's a one-trick pony, but he's very elite at that one very, very valuable trick. He shot 47% last season on just five attempts from three. Uh, I hope to see more volume from him, be a little bit more featured. However, 
Brooklyn's a little bit crowded between Dinwiddie, Kyrie, and Joe Harris in the backcourt. So we shall see. Oh yeah, and also Karis LeVert. They have they have lots of good guard depth. So Joe is maybe a little bit too talented for his role on that Nets team, but ultimately having a lights out shooter like Harris contributes to winning basketball, hence the 95 position. At number 94, we have Bo it's not no, it's Boyan. Haha, <laughs> yeah, it's it's Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh another former Pacer. A uh Great third option for the Jazz. He put up 18 points a game last year in Oladipo's absence. I don't expect him to have quite that sort of output this season uh, with the Kings. However, I, uh, no, he's on the fucking Kings. The other Bogdan is on the Kings. God, I can't get my, my Bogdans in a row. It feels like a, the Brooks fiasco for the, for the Grizzlies last year, except it's right now, and it's in this podcast with, with the Bogdanoviches. Uh, but yeah, Bojan for the Jazz, going to be an incredible third option scorer. Looking forward to seeing more Jazz games this year since I have Mike Conley and uh, are probably a top three team in the West in terms of talent. Uh, not sure how they'll perform overall, but regardless, they'll they'll definitely perform well and Bojan's going to be a big reason for that. At number 93, we have Ibaka. Flaka, Flame, great defender, elite mid-range efficiency, and now a champion. Uh, his athleticism has been on the decline for years now, and as the backup to Gasol most of the time, uh, it's a really great position for him to focus on the things that make him great and not be expected to really do too much. Uh, as a first option, you know, as the star on Orlando way back in the day, he was fine nothing special definitely not good enough to warrant being the best player on a good team but as a role player uh if you don't mind uh me using role player in a non-slanderous way i mean he's sure he's a starting caliber center but he is definitely at his best as a defensive minded six man and whether he gets traded or not like most raptors are expected to be traded uh, at least for me, I, I expect the Raptors to trade almost everybody. But whether or not he stays in the Raptors doesn't really matter to me because you can plug him in to basically any team and he will contribute to winning. Uh, he also might be secretly 40 years old. I mean, nobody knows how old Serge Ibaka is, really. So maybe he slips up even more this year on uh, in terms of athleticism and that will maybe not make him a top 100 player anymore. But right now, I think he's probably going to be the 93rd best player in the NBA this season. At number 92, we have Jeremy Grant, who just signed with the Nuggets. And if you take Ibaka and morph him into a wing and replace his mid-range game with a uniquely wild finishing ability, then you've got one of the most versatile defenders in the league. And he's going to be catching a lot of lobs from Nikola Jokic this year. The Nuggets got a real steal signing Jeremy Grant. He is going to be excellent this year. And speaking of the Nuggets, at 91, we have Gary, Gary Harris, Harris. Uh, elite cutter, perfect pairing with Jokic. Uh, I was reluctant to even put him on the list, honestly. Uh, it took a lot of 
critical thinking, I guess, to justify putting Gary Harris even on the list at all. Because I think he relies on Jokic so much that it's questionable how good of a player he really is uh, on either side of the ball, quite frankly. He's a fine defender, from what I can tell, in the Nuggets games that I've watched. Uh, but ultimately, his offensive game is mostly reliant on being that elite cutter and having Jokic find him. Now, sure, every team doesn't have a Jokic. However, most teams do have some playmaking ability somewhere on the floor, and you would think that that would mean that Gary Harris would be valuable on any team that has some some sort of playmaking. But I think Gary Harris would be a lot more valuable if he has proven that he could create his own offense, was any sort of meaningful playmaker himself, or even an, an above-average defender. Uh, but right now, it looks like he is sort of similar to the other Harris that we've talked about, Joe Harris, except instead of his one trick being three-point shooting, his one trick is cutting to the basket and finishing strong, which is a valuable skill, enough to warrant him getting all the way up to 91 on this list. At number 90, we have Kyle Kuzma, who, prior to the Sports Illustrated Top 100, uh, I thought 90 would be way too low in most people's opinions. However, apparently, I'm even higher on Kuzma than Sports Illustrated. Uh, I'm not a big Kuzma fan. I think he gets way too much hype. However, he's definitely the third best offensive player on the Lakers, and that is a solid role for him. He also has the potential to be a very switchable and more than decent defender. And as he matures and get, has more experience in the league, I think we're going to see that defensive potential maybe come out. But I just haven't seen it at all yet. Um, people have been praising his defense over the summer, saying that he's been working hard on it, getting better. I just haven't seen it yet. But if he does become an above-average defender, he's going to shoot way up on this list because a guy who can flirt with 20 points a game and also defend at an above-average level is much more valuable than the 90th best player in the league. However, right now, I say that's about where he fits in. Um, but if you say Kyle Kuzma is good, I'm going to say he sucks just to irritate you. So fair warning, Lakers fans. At 89, we have Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, he's young as shit at 21, uh, coming off his rookie season. Already has elite feel for the game. Uh, he can control the game at a pace that most guards don't find for years. And he's already at a level that veterans are at in terms of feel. Very Luka Doncic-esque in terms of stepping into the league and clearly being able to control a game like that. Um, I really, really like SGA, and I think when CP3 inevitably gets traded, he's going to get a lot of opportunities in Oklahoma City. Uh, so that is why I think he will be the 89th best player in the league. At 88, we have Bingram, Brandon, Ingram. Elite six-man territory for him this season. I really, really hope his blood, cot, blood clot <laughs> condition uh, turns out okay. But he's a long, skitty head down score not the most versatile in spite of his length in terms of defense but he has good defensive potential especially if he adds even 10 pounds of muscle over the next year once he gains that weight uh, he can have the potential to shoot up on this list a lot more and 
I think 88 is a little bit conservative. It really just depends on how much New Orleans decides to feature him on offense this season. But I think if he comes off the bench and leads that second unit as the primary option, he is going to look like a surprisingly good player compared to what we've seen so far. At number 87, we have Justice Winslow, who most definitely will at some point this season overtake Goran Dragic for the starting point guard position. He's a great defender already, a real jack-of-all-trades guarding one through four. And once he got put at the point guard position, he really came out in terms of uh, showing off his potential. So he's a fine distributor as well. He's only 23, and I think he should take a serious leap this year, putting the ball in his hands more, and maybe even be like a backup Jimmy Butler type role, because it's possible that Justice falls all the way down to third string uh, point guard, if you will, behind Goron, and then Jimmy as the secondary option at the point guard position in uh, certain lineups. Um, however, like I said, I think at some point he will overtake Goron and become the starter. And I think that the Heat really have a outstanding young talent uh, down there in Miami. At number 86, we have Lonzo Ball. Uh, I think I'm a little bit higher on Lonzo Ball than most people. He really needs to figure out the free throw thing, like, super badly. But he has a unique skill set where he can play very good defense, as well as playmake at an elite level sometimes. Uh, he's going to compliment Drew Holiday very much, and I think that he takes away responsibilities from Drew in a way that's going to bring out the best in both of them. Uh, most importantly, he isn't going to be swallowed by the LA media and everything else uh, surrounding that, as well as playing in good quality shoes. That is going to all jokes aside about Big Baller Brand make a huge difference in terms of stepping up his game, elevating his potential, and bringing out the best in him. At number 85, we have Jeremy Lamb, who is a my man. I love Jeremy Lamb. Uh, he's a great defender on the wing, good enough shooter, and a valuable contract at 3 for 21. He's going to be a solid addition to the Pacers, and the Hornets are really kind of miss him. I uh, I don't think losing Kimba Walker on a, on its own is enough to warrant stepping down 15 to 20 games and wins, uh, but maybe 8 to 10. And then on top of that, losing Lamb, it's probably another 4 to 6 games lost just because he's that good. And I think he is going to be very, very valuable to Indiana this year. Looking forward to watching him play in that situation. At number 84, we have Derek favors who is the most forgettable player in the league uh, quite frankly uh, he's always been a super solid big man he's gonna have the opportunity to be a starter in new orleans great defensive awareness overall very smart player with a few tricks in his bag uh, so he can get his own offense when he gets the ball at number 83 this might be uh, one of the more polarizing things on this list I try not to be contrarian for its own sake, but I, I really strive to be an honest sports fan and commentator here. And so number 83 is D'Angelo Russell, who, you know, I'll probably be roasted for this, but he was the most undeserving all-star last year. He doesn't get to the line at all. Not a good defender, mediocre playmaker. He'll do fine in Golden State, but he's going to have a long period of adjustment 
slotting into that uh, Clay Thompson role and substituting that uh, until Clay Thompson comes back. And I think he's very likely to be traded, if not this trade deadline, then in the 2020 offseason. Um, Warriors made some a pretty smart move trading Iguodala in order to open up the ability to sign D'Angelo Russell. Uh, however, uh, I just don't think he's as good as most people do. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. I predict that he'll probably be ice cold making adjustments all the way up until Christmas time. Then maybe catch fire for a few weeks, uh, bump his value up, and then get traded right at the deadline. At number 82... Further proving my point of uh, D'Angelo Russell not being that good is Spencer Denwitty. Uh, I think Spencer was a better player than D'Angelo Russell last year, and I think that will continue this year, especially in the context of him maintaining that familiar role of backing up Kyrie Irving now instead of D'Angelo Russell, who are somewhat similar players in terms of their games. And Spencer Denwitty has uh, a super not flashy game, but he's a very, very all-around player, much more all-around than D'Angelo Russell. He'll do better and improve more than D'Angelo Russell from last year, being that he's in that familiar role. So Spencer Dinwiddie at number 82. At number 81 is Eric Gordon. He is a key part of the Rockets roster, more than decent shooter, roundish face in the game. We all know about Eric Gordon. Let's move on. Number 80, we have Jalen Brown. Seems to be inevitable that he is also going to be traded at some point this season. Uh, however, he looked really good in the playoffs and took about the same number of shots per 100 as Tatum, uh, both about 20, uh, second only to Kyrie on the Celtics. And he's a good defender. If we were to, uh, I say we, we mean the Grizzlies, uh, if we were to trade for him or sign him in this upcoming offseason in 2020, I would be super happy as a Grizzlies fan. Uh, however, I think if he were anywhere else other than the Celtics, where they have that super crowded rotation, um, he would be a lot more of a stud. Big time eye test guy, because when you look at the numbers, he doesn't really pop, but you can tell he's a good defender when you watch him. You can tell he has a lot of scoring potential in his game. And I would absolutely not be mad if the Grizz gave him a max in 2020. At number 79, we have Aaron Gordon. He's 24, a versatile athletic power forward. Another team that's super crowded is the Orlando Magic. I mean, it's just a bunch of Alpha Rucaminos down there. Uh, trading him for Jalen Brown would be a super smart move for both teams. Uh, he's stupid athletic, pretty fluid, smooth operator. And he still has time to develop his game at 24. I think if he were anywhere but Orlando, again, very similar to Jalen Brown, he would thrive. So I really like Aaron Gordon. I think he has the potential to be higher on this list in the future, but right now, 79. At 78, let me drink a water. We have the fro, Jarrett Allen. Uh, signing DeAndre Jordan should fucking piss off. Jared Allen. I mean, he's a better player than him by a lot already. It's his third year in the league this uh, coming up 2020 season, and I think he will continue to improve at a very good rate. 
Uh, limited opportunity with DeAndre Jordan being on that roster may hinder his development, but he's a lot less of a question mark than DeAndre Jordan and a much more consistent player than, say, Mitchell Robinson. At number 77, we have Kevin Love, and I'm not going to pretend that I watched a lot of Kevin Love's super limited action last year. He's pretty thin now, though. He's uh, definitely not the same uh, chunky dude all the way from his Timberwolves days. He is a lean machine out there. Uh, he uh, looks like an old man who lives at the gym at the YMCA. I mean, he is uh, graying a little bit in his hair already. I think that's interesting. And he's historically great, but unless he gets traded to a winning situation like Portland, like a lot of people think will happen this year, uh, I think his value is going to be very limited. Uh, he's not the same... 50 straight double-doubles type of guy he once was. He might be one of the more underrated players on this list uh, because I don't know what to really expect from him this season, especially being on that Cavs team. So until he's off of there, he is uh, limited to this 70s range on my top 100, though he has potential to jump up as much as 20 or 30 slots based on his raw talent level. But as far as what he's providing for the Cavs, really not super high in terms of uh, contributing to the rebuild or developing his game as a young player. Nothing like that is happening with Kevin Love. He is a established veteran presence, and I think that him being on a losing team really limits that value. At number 76, we have Ricky Rubio, who is a huge plus for the Suns. Uh, covers Devin Booker's ass a lot with his steadying presence and adds at least seven wins to that team just on his own. Good defender, great playmaker, great feel, good hustle, and also very handsome. Uh, Ricky Rubio is one of my favorite players. He was super hyped coming out of his draft class, and although I wouldn't say he exactly lived up to those expectations, he's definitely proven to be a hella valuable NBA player, uh, one of the more slept-on point guards in the league in general. He's always been kind of hidden in these small markets between Utah and Minnesota, and now again in Phoenix, which I guess you could say are all sort of mid-market teams, but let's be honest, mid-market is a lie. Uh, there is small market teams and then big market teams. You got Chicago, LA, New York, maybe Miami, and the rest. Uh, if you think your team is a big market team, please let me know in the comments or review or tweet me or something because I don't think that there's that many big markets in the NBA uh, that actually attract players to uh, potentially come through their city and make more money than just what they're making off their contract and shoe deals. Because uh, that's a huge incentive to go to LA or New York is to find different avenues to create income for yourself as an NBA player with a restricted income due to the salary cap. Um, Ricky Rubio is not really that guy, though. So 76, I think, is a fair slot for him. At 75, we have John Collins, the man who took a huge leap uh, in his sophomore season playing with Trey Young. Uh, and I think he's only going to get better, especially because it looked like he started giving a shit about defense towards the end of the year. Now, I know those games uh, in in April aren't really very valuable in terms of uh, evaluating players' worth. 
but you see the potential there to be a good defender, which wasn't really there at all most of his entire first two seasons. So the defensive side of the equation was the biggest hole in his game. And I think if you can uh, put up 20 and 10 and play good defense, then you're automatically one of the best big men in the league. I think the 75 might even be potentially low for him this year. I'm ranking him only there just because I don't know that the defensive side of the equation is any type of guarantee. Uh, so we shall see exactly how that scales into this upcoming Atlanta Hawks 2020 season. Uh, at number 74, we have Danny Green, a core part of the championship wraps and the Spurs back in the day for what it's worth. A super streaky shooter, but a damn good one when he's knocking them down. Easily the third best Laker, in my opinion. And uh, we all know about Danny Green. We all know about the good defense and the shooting. Uh, he's been in the league for a long time, and he deserves it. He's an exceptional player. At number 73, we have Karis Levert. Before he got hurt last year with a dislocated ankle, which looked a lot more brutal than it turned out to be. Uh, fortunately, he only missed like 8 or 10 weeks, something like that. It looked like it would have put him out for a year just on the court, because, man, that was a brutal-looking injury. Uh, but before he got hurt, he looked like the best Brooklyn net kind of by a lot and uh even after he came back he still looked very good and he had an incredible playoff run though on a losing effort putting up 21 a game on 61.2 true shooting percentage uh very good player looking forward to see how he pairs with a guy like Kyrie Irving this season at number 72 we have Triple J um I think I might have ranked him a little low, just trying to account for my Grizzlies bias here. But he's easily the best player on the Memphis Grizzlies. Already a top-tier NBA defender, and he just turned 20. Uh, he can guard all five positions. He's allegedly over seven feet now, though I can't verify that, of course. But word on the street is that he grew from 6'11 to 7'1 and got a little bit beefier. Uh, he has a competent coach this year that probably isn't going to take him out after literally every single foul and let him play through mistakes so maybe he can learn from them in a different way rather than um, learning from them via disciplinary action. Uh, I think Jaron projects similarly to how Kevin Durant projected as an offensive player except on defense. I think he has the potential to be an all-time great. That being said, he is only 20 years old. The sophomore season is usually pretty critical for players, in my experience, just watching the league. If you uh, don't take a huge leap from your rookie year to your second year, your sophomore season, then it's uh, your chances of developing seem much sl slimmer. There are some late bloomers out there, though they seem like the exception and not the rule. And uh, if Jaron is going to be the all-time great player that I think he might just be, then he needs to step up his game this year. He has a great handle on the ball for a big guy, really a uh, a unicorn, just like Kevin Durant, just like Kristaps Porzingis, just like Giannis Antetokounmpo, but he still has a lot to figure out. And I think this season, he's going to figure out a lot, 
though maybe not a lot more to justify being any higher than where he is on this list. At number 71, we have Brooke Lopez, uh, who, if he had a quick feet, he'd be a top 20 player. Uh, but he's everything you want out of a center, in spite of his slow-footedness, incredible rim protector, contested the most shots in the league, uh, at, as far as, um, I believe, also in terms of just total quantity, but what I know for sure is that the rate that he contested shots was significantly higher than anybody else in the league. A lot of that has to do with how the Bucks never switch, so he's pretty much always locked into the paint there and coming over as the weak side defender, which he's fine at. But what he's really best at is being that rim protector as well as a hella good three-point shooter. Great stretch five that can work on any team and contribute to winning basketball. And you can't talk about the evolution of the NBA without talking about Brook Lopez when you're talking about uh, how the game has changed over the 2010s or 20-teens, however you want to phrase that. Uh, Brook Lopez is a real case study in those terms as he came into the league and was an all-star in the league, primarily as a post-scorer, a guy who didn't get a lot of rebounds but made a lot of shots, got his own offense a whole bunch. And ultimately, uh, he turned out to can translate that soft touch into three-point shooting, which is what the league needs right now if you want to be a great center. And uh, he has proven he is just that, a great center. So I think 71 is a very fair position for him. You might be lower, you might be higher, especially if you're a Bucks fan. But I think this is right at the accurate place for him to be, right around this... Uh, low or high say high the high 70s to low 60s uh i think is the proper range for brooke lopez to be in at number 70 we have jason tatum and i mean do we really have to talk about him there's so many people that talk about jason tatum especially with the boston media covering their team probably more than anyone of that market size uh covers their team i mean it, nobody talks about the Boston media the way they should. I mean, they're on top of it. I think more people are critical of it because so many people are trying to cover the team with so many different angles. So there's a lot of discussion happening around Tatum at any given moment. Uh, but I will say this. The whole thing about Kobe tainting his game by manipulating him into taking more mid-range jump shots is a uh, way overblown. Uh, I think Tatum practicing for the offseason, not the offseason, the postseason, excuse me, uh, similar to how Kobe did by taking those shots, which you know you get in the playoffs, is ultimately a good thing and helps grow his game, especially when he has such a good supporting cast around him to shoulder a little bit more of the uh, offensive role, which requires efficiency. Uh, Jason Tatum is their go-to scorer of the future. So being proficient at getting the shots that you can get in the playoffs is definitely not a bad thing. It's a little bit of give and take in terms of not making as many shots as you need to make in the regular season to max out your efficiency. But in return, you gain efficiency in the playoffs, which is what really matters. So I uh, am very curious to see how he will fit into Kimba Walker's uh, offense. Because Kimba Walker is definitely the leader 
of that team right now. However, Tatum is the leader of that team in the future. At number 69, the nicest slot in this whole list, we have Julius Randle, uh, who I really like. I think I'm higher on Randle than most people. I mean, he's a total bulldog out there on offense, which means that he gets tunnel vision and kind of puts his head down and wants to score the basketball once he gets it in his hand. But he has super, super good handles for a big guy. Uh, and in New York, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity on offense in spite of having a lot of young guys who also want to get their own opportunities and also in spite of having a bunch of more power forwards on that team. Let me say that again. A bunch more power forwards on that team than they really need, which is his position. Uh, in spite of that, he is going to be featured in this offense a lot. And I am looking forward to New York loving Julius Randle because I think they will. At number 68, we got OPJ, Otto Porter Jr., a premier glue guy who is not overpaid and can defend every position on the court at a, a very, very, very good rate. Uh, not quite a top-tier defender, but very close and a very, very good shooter as well. He will be critical to the Bulls' upcoming success this season as they attempt to make a legitimate and serious playoff push. Uh, it's not like they're hunting for home court advantage or anything like that, but they're fighting for that 7th or 8th seed for sure. And again, Otto Porter is going to be a huge reason for that. At number 67, we got Patrick Beverly, who is the grittiest defender in the league. I mean, what he was able to do against Kevin Durant in that first round uh, was a big reason that the Clippers contested that team at a uh, surprising rate, bringing it all the way to six games as an eighth seed. And his off-court intangibles are also something that are very valuable as that uh, loudmouth leader, the guy who is going to... Uh, draw a lot of attention from people like the media, like opposing scouts, uh, to really put attention on his defense rather than his teammates. Uh, I think that is very, very, very valuable. And uh, on the court, there's also more intangible value to Patrick Beverly as a defensive communicator, as a pest, as a guy who gets into the other team's heads. Uh, he might not put up great numbers, and if you're the type who likes to look at the stat sheet more than you like to look at games, uh, you might think I'm crazy. Watch him and you will see that he is a excellent, excellent, excellent defensive player. At number 66, we have Eric Bledsoe, who folds in the playoffs, quite frankly. Uh, but he looks like an elite defender over the course of the regular season. Uh, one of the best defenders at the guard position, quite frankly. Maybe not quite as good as Patrick Beverly, but close. And he also has enough tricks in his bag to get his own on offense and is good enough at creating for others to be a point guard. And you got to figure with all those sorts of uh, all those sorts of qualifiers, he's justified being it at 66. Though if you really are quite critical of his non-performance in the playoffs, then maybe this is too high for you. 
or maybe if you value the regular season a lot and think that defense is equally weighted in terms of value in the NBA uh, relative to offense, then Eric Bledsoe might be higher for you on this list. But for me, he just barely, barely cracks the line of being in the bottom third and the middle third of the top 100 players in the NBA. So I think 66 is a very, very fair position for Eric Bledsoe. At number 65, we have Malcolm Brogdon, who was Eric Bledsoe's teammate last year, who's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer this season as a great second option next to Oladipo. Uh, his efficiency gets a little overblown as he did enter the 50-40-90 club last season. Uh, however, I don't think it's going to be sustainable as a pacer, and he also just has an awful nickname, so we got to dock some points for that. I mean, the president, that is, that's not good. That's like some shit you would hear on 2K. At number 64, we have Paul Millsap, who is a big-time great versatile defender, very skilled power forward, quietly a key contributor to Denver's success last season. Uh, he makes $30 million, which some people is are going to think is way too much but it's an expiring contract i think he'll get on a much more fair deal likely getting an extension from the nuggets if i had to guess because the nuggets kind of just extend everybody um paul is a pretty damn good player and has been for a pretty long time and i don't have any reason to believe that he's gonna enter any major decline this season so 64 it is for paul Millsap. At 63, we have Trez, Montrez Harrell. Um, my hustle bias is definitely bleeding through on this slot uh, for sure. But for 6'8", uh, at the center position, he sure can fucking play. I'm looking forward to see how he can improve on his 16 and 6 in just 26 minutes off the bench for him last season as he gets closer to something more like a starting role. Although I do think that the center position is going to be a lot more like a platoon for the Clippers this year as they uh, try to work Zubac more into the fold. And uh, I'm not sure if Trez is going to get more playing time than he did last season, but I do think it's possible for him to get even more hustle points, if you will. Uh, at 62, we have DeAndre Ayton, uh, who is only 20 and has more support around him this season than last, which was his rookie year. And players tend to make a significant leap in their sophomore season when they're as talented as DeAndre Ayton. And he might even be playing next to Aaron Baines a lot this year as a power forward, which might actually be good for his development. Uh, maybe kind of bails him out a little bit too much on defense and kind of slows down his development on that side of the ball. But having Aaron Baines to cover his ass on the floor at the same time as him is going to enable him to focus on what makes him so talented, which is his offensive game. Uh, that is why he is ranked so high. I think, you know, he could range anywhere between here and all the way down to Jaron Jackson Jr.'s area, about 10 slots below. Uh, I'm imagining him having a near John Collins type leap with this 62 positioning from his freshman to his sophomore season. Should I call it his freshman season? I should call it his rookie season. 
but I said it. Moving on anyway. Uh, number 61, we have Josh Richardson, who is way overskilled for his role and going to be able to focus on doing what he does best as a great defender and secondary playmaker. Uh, he has shown flashes of being able to take over games on offense, but he should never have to do that. So it's going to be a lot less like him taking over games for Philly this year. A lot more like he's going to be catching on fire. Uh, maybe when Philly needs it most. I would not be surprised at all if at some point during some round in the playoffs that he has a whole game where they can basically credit him for getting the victory rather than Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris who are all better than Josh Richardson for sure, but he has the ability to play excellent defense while also taking over on offense. And having that sort of spark plug is going to make Philly nearly impossible to beat when he's on fire like that if everyone else is performing up to par. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in that fourth option role compared to his number one option role last season for the Heat. It's going to be very liberating for him and really show off his potential. At number 60, we have DeMontis Sabanis, who must, and I repeat must, be traded in order to thrive this season. A lot of people have been throwing out Sabanis for Jalen Brown talks, and I think that would be a perfect trade for both sides, similar to Aaron Gordon, although I think Aaron Gordon would be a lot more fair trade for both sides if it was just a straight-up trade. Uh, Sabanis is a very, very efficient player in spite of being forced to play power forward when he's truly a center. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, he shares the court with Miles Turner often, and it's really just a means to get him more minutes, not so much to develop him as a four rather than a five. And I am anticipating and looking forward to him, excuse me, being traded this season. At number 59, we have P.J. Tucker, who KD called his hack and ass the best defender in the league. He knocks down corner threes pro prolifically, and he's getting older, but not really slowing down a bit. Core member of the Rockets and going to be a major, major contributing player to their winning basketball this season. And a big reason why... The Rockets might quietly be the best team in the league this year. They have a lot of X-Factors, uh, notably Russell Westbrook and how he fits in with James Harden. But P.J. Tucker is one of those X-Factors. And if he doesn't decline this year, Houston has a lot better chance at being a number one seed even in the West. Because the other top tier teams have a lot of adjusting to do. Where the Rockets have slightly more continuity. Uh, subbing in Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul is really not as different uh, of an adjustment compared to working in, say, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard into the fold or Anthony Davis into the rotation with LeBron. Uh, so those top-tier teams in the West leaves a lot of open uh, opportunity for the Rockets to take that number one seed. And P.J. Tucker's elite defense and corner three making is going to be a huge reason that they are in that contender position. 
At number 58, we have Hassan Whiteside, who is in a contract year. Huge plus. Um, I'm expecting him to really step up his performance and not show a lot of the uh, mindless or lazy tendencies that he can slip into at times because he's in that contract season. Uh, and he's really just a placeholder for Nurk. A lot of people are throwing around uh, Hassan Whiteside plus picks for Kevin Love type rumors. Or maybe not so much rumors, but just fake trades. And I think he might even have some 20 and 20 type nights. He's not the smartest player, but still smart enough to play decent defense and protect the rim with his insane length. And it will be interesting to see exactly how it works out whenever it is that Nurkic returns. Uh, I think his most valuable role for the Blazers, however, is as a mere placeholder until Nurk returns and then is trade bait for Kevin Love because he enables them to trade him away and not have to attach very many more contracts. Uh, so very valuable in that position. Your your value as a player uh, and as a trade chip doesn't really factor in that much into how I think about this sort of list, uh, but it matters some. At number 57, we have John Wall. This is a great time to bring up how I'm factoring injuries. You can see if you're watching on YouTube how this name has an asterisk next to it. And that is because he probably won't even play this season. However, I don't want to just leave guys off the list because they're still in the league, although they won't contribute this season. Guys like John Wall and Kevin Durant and uh, Yusuf Nurkic and Clay Thompson, who are not going to contribute for all or just part of the season, are still in the league, still deserve to be ranked, and I am judging them based on how I predict their post-injury careers to be, maybe not careers, but seasons or following seasons, whatever. I just think that they should still be put on the list because it makes a, another layer of intrigue be there. I think John Wall has been on the decline rapidly the past few seasons, and this sort of devastating injury keeping him out for this long, as well as not really being on any sort of a winning situation uh, in the foreseeable future, is really, really going to take a toll on him and make him plummet down the rankings in the NBA. He is not a top-tier point guard, but still good enough to warrant being close to the top 50 players. Uh, moving on from John Wall, we have Marvin Bagley III, MB3, a crazy talented player. Uh, Dave Yeager was not that far off when he said that him and De'Aaron Fox have the potential to be the next Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying that Marvin Bagley is going to be Kevin Durant. But I think he's going to make a serious leap this season as they approach winning basketball and be a better defender. And you know what? He's a lot better, in my opinion, than his uh, draft classmate, DeAndre Ayton, because he's a similarly talented offensive player who takes and makes threes and can play okay defense. His sophomore season is uh, going to be phenomenal in my opinion and he's only 20 so we'll see where he 
climbs up the rankings, but I forecast him to be close to a top 50 player. At number 55, this is undoubtedly, like, no, no bullshit here, the most contrarian opinion I have. And I take the glasses off if you're watching, uh, just to communicate exactly how serious I am about this. At number 55, we have Chris Paul, who I think is going to have a serious decline this year. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too bold of a prediction, but he has not seemed as athletic as he should uh, in order to be the same elite Chris Paul he's always been. And frankly, I think him being traded to the Thunder and then probably being traded again at some point in the season is going to take a toll on him. I don't think he's going to go out there and try to prove his value and play super hard in order to get traded to a team because Chris Paul is a intelligent guy, not just an intelligent basketball player. And if he wants to be traded into a winning situation, then it's smart for him to deplete his value. And so I think if he plays for the Thunder at all, he's going to play like shit, <laughs> make it a lot easier for them to trade his horrible contract and go to a more of a winning situation without giving the Thunder too much in return. Uh, that way he can still play with the best players available on wherever his next destination is. And like I said, for the last two years, he's gotten noticeably less athletic, really, really steps down his defensive potential. And though he can still be an effective offensive player without his athleticism, that de defense is one of the things that made Chris Paul so valuable. And on top of that, he's quietly possibly a total locker room cancer, which is seriously worth docking points for when you're making a list like this, or at least when I'm making a list like this. Things like being a shithead in the locker room is uh, definitely something that's going to lower your value, in my opinion. And so... At number 54, we have a really good example of just how this type of uh, intangibles thing and defense thing uh, really factors into these rankings for me. Uh, we have Marcus Smart over Chris Paul. His intangibles are through the roof, crazy long arms, great defender, huge time hustle player, underrated shooter as well. He had... Maybe his first ever good shooting season last year. And a majorly positive locker room presence. And a bona fide hustler. I love Marcus Smart. And maybe I love him too much because I think he's going to have a better year than Chris Paul in 2020. At number 53, we have Gallo Danilo Gallinari, who was the best player on the Clippers last year. Uh, crazy, crazy efficient scorer, and not the worst defender. He's a sort of like a B minus Kevin Durant, uh, with being that super long and efficient scoring wing who doesn't play bad defense. Smart, low mistake player, and I don't see him slowing down a bit this year, in spite of being in possibly a losing situation in Oklahoma City. Uh, but I, I. Just hope he doesn't get hurt for the hundredth million time. I would like to see Gallo play close to a full season. And um, 
you know, Ben Gulliver of SI, or formerly of SI, he's of the Open Floor podcast, and uh, now of the Washington Post, but he has a nice little slogan of availability is the best ability, and I don't think it's the best ability, uh, but it definitely matters, and it doesn't factor very much into these sorts of rankings, but I think it's always worth bringing up when players have a tendency to get injured or are injured uh, when you're making these types of lists. So hopefully Gallo plays more this season than maybe he ever has and uh, continues to be a crazy efficient scorer. At number 52, we have a player very close to my heart, uh, Mark the Shark Gasol. Mark Gasol is still an elite post defender uh, and playmaker as a big man. He has the touch to shoot from anywhere when he isn't looking over his right shoulder to try to swing the ball before he even thinks about shooting. Uh, but that's okay because he can fit into any team and run that second unit uh, in terms of offense and defense. If you run your second unit through Marc Gasol, then you're going to have one of the best second units. Uh, now, I know Marc Gasol is going to be a starter most of the time for the Raptors this season, though I forecast that Marc Gasol, if nobody else, is the most likely Raptor to be traded. And I think if he's going to be traded anywhere, it's going to be in a position where it's a winning team, where they need him to contribute to winning basketball, just like where he was traded from Memphis to Toronto last year. I think he's going to be traded from a meh, winning situation if the roster stays uh, composed as it is, or even a potentially losing situation in Toronto if they decide to tear it down and rebuild. Uh, they have a lot of expiring contracts, so I think it's very likely that Toronto is going to have a losing season and tear it down. And I think if Marc Gasol is one of those players to be traded, and I think he is, uh, then he's going to be most valuable as a second unit leader an elite six man, um, even if he does start in a in spots, I think he's going to be spending more time getting the offense ran through him as a secondary playmaker, and he's one of the only big men you can do that with in the league. Not that on top of his defense and his ability to create his own offense makes him a top fifty type player. Uh, I have him at fifty two here, but. Some of you might think he's a little too high, but I have a Marc Gasol bias, what can I say? And I think his lack of athleticism isn't really something that matters too much because he has such a well-rounded game. It really helps compensate for that. Uh, did I mention he's an elite defender? Yeah, Marc Gasol at 52. At number 51, we have Jamal Murray, and I'm not sure of how much this fake Mamba mentality that this guy has, um, or how fake it is, I should say. Uh, but most of these guys who have this sort of outward confidence in the NBA are very, very real about it. And uh, he shoots like he means it. I think he's going to take a big leap this year, get a lot better. If he can become a decent defender, that's going to really put him over the top and let him become a great player and justify him being at this uh, position of uh, the 51st best player in the NBA. And he's only 22. 
I expect them to keep getting better. At number 50, we have Yusuf Nurkic, who is top five biggest bodies in the league. Very, very solid post defender, hard screener, good scorer, very well-rounded center. Even has some passing ability that flies under the radar. And he will definitely get his starting position back over Hassan once he comes back from injury. Uh, come trade deadline, I think it's mission critical for them to trade Hassan Whiteside because you need to max out a player like Nurk in order to be successful in the playoffs. Not sure how good Hassan Whiteside could be as a starting or platoon type center uh, in the playoffs because of the amount of just dumb mistakes that he has the uh, potentiality to make. Uh, Nurkic is a little bit smarter than Hassan and uh, does the intangible things a lot better too. At number 49, let me uh, drink some more water. At number 49, we have Sweet Lou, Lou Williams, the best spark plug in the league. Uh, seven years younger version of Jamal Crawford, let's just be honest. Uh, but even so, he's had some of his best seasons the past couple years in his early 30s. And, uh, you know... He's even less susceptible than Jamal Crawford to being a, a victim, if you will, of dribble bias. And he definitely deserves a starting role as he is a fucking 20 points per game scorer. Though a lot of that comes from him being a second unit guy who comes off the bench and provides that spark. Uh, so he's definitely not going to get that starting role, though he is talented enough to warrant it. At number 48, we have Clint Capella who is a solid modern center. He's not a three-point shooter, unfortunately, but he runs the rim very well. Good defender in the paint. Good alley-oop finisher. Maybe depends on good guard play like guys, uh, like from guys like James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, in order to max out his value and be good on a good winning team, but he's one of the best supporting cast type players in the NBA. And he definitely deserves to be considered for top 50 type of range uh, just because of that. At number 47, we have Bobby Cove, Robert Covington, one of the best 3 and D guys in the league. Uh, product of the process, hashtag TTP, hashtag lookface. Uh, better fit next to Cat and whatever Andrew Wiggins is supposed to be this season than Jimmy Butler was. Known for his deflection rate and uh, the NBA dweeb community. Uh, and as a great player in, in that regard, making uh, disruptive plays on defense, uh, he's not actually as high in terms of the rate of which that he deflects passes, but he's one of the highest in terms of the total deflections that he makes. Uh, however, I think that because... He's uh, a lot smarter of a player who doesn't take as many unnecessary risk. Uh, that's the only thing holding him back from being in a god tier of deflections. Uh, I think if he wanted to, he could deflect half the fucking passes that come close to him. But that takes a lot of risk taking and uh, blowing assignments on defense. And he is a great defender, solid shooter, another incredible supporting cast type player. 
doesn't really flirt with being a uh, an absolute top tier player in terms of any of those hustle stats like a uh, like a Corey Brewer or Nerlens Noel, but that's because he plays a lot more than those guys, and uh, he's second only to PG thirteen in total deflections per game. So number forty seven, Bobby Cov. I love Robert Covington, and I have a little bit of a of a process bias. I uh. I miss Sam Hinkie, what can I say? At number 46, we have Andre Drumroll, Andre Drummond, uh, one of the best rebounders maybe ever. Uh, a good playmaker, not, doesn't make too many bonehead plays on either side of the ball. He idolized Dwight Howard growing up, but he's uh, really nothing like him except for the incredible rebounding ability. Uh, he's sort of similarly athletically, uh, though... Not even close to Prime Dwight Howard. If you don't know about Prime Dwight Howard, then you need to get to know Prime Dwight Howard. He was, in my opinion, the best player in the league for a small moment. And yes, that is over LeBron. Uh, just because of his God-tier defense and his ability to take over games in the postseason. I'll never forget watching, uh, watching him dominate the Hawks uh, while I was on vacation one year in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It was the most memorable part of, of that trip. It's just watching Dwight Howard play. But Andre Drummond, uh, not quite on that role. Not quite on that level, but he is still an awesome player. At number 45, we have Steven Adams, who sets the hardest screens in the league. Uh, really... It's going to be his first year without Russell Westbrook, so we will see exactly how much those rebounding numbers are going to come up. But he's a very solid rebounder for sure. Doesn't get the top-tier rebounding stats like a guy like Andre Drummond gets, but he is a similarly gifted rebounder. Great defender. Uh, although he tends to break down over the course of the season, I think that's just an issue of him wearing himself out. Uh, sort of suffers from that Blake Griffin syndrome where just he gets injured at the worst time and just doesn't play as good as he needs to in the moments where it matters most. Otherwise, I might have Steven Adams even higher on this list. At number 44, we have Zach Levine, a very polarizing player uh, in the NBA dweeb community. Uh, SI had him in the 90s somewhere. I think it was 91st in their top 100. I'm way higher on Zach Levine uh, than that, obviously. But he's uber-athletic, has a silky J, a pure scorer, although he does have his haters for that one-sided game. And I don't want to overly penalize him for that because the one-sidedness of his game is on the important side of the game offense. Uh even though he's not a good defender and no, you're not going to win any rings uh, with him as your best player or even your primary scorer. He is still a incredibly talented player and potentially good enough to be the third best player or maybe even just the second best scorer on a championship team. Uh, at number 43, we have book uh, Devin Booker, a guy who I'm a lot lower on than most, uh, but I just got to, recognizes incredible scoring ability uh, his usage rate is through the roof and he is a definitely a uh, kind of a bonehead defender when the ball isn't right there in front of him he's fine good not great uh at getting 
good stats on a uh, on a bad team. Uh, I don't think he's going to look good, though, if he's on a good team where he's a second or third option. Nowhere near as good as he looks now uh, in regards to the stat sheet. But he's young AF at 22, almost 23, even younger than Zach Levine. And uh, again, just an abysmal defender when the ball isn't right in front of him. Uh, but he scored 50 points in two consecutive games and has a 70-point scoring effort under his belt, even though that game was uh, kind of shoehorned into his career. I mean, they were feeding him that ball, actively trying to get him as many points as possible. It wasn't exactly an organic scoring effort when he got that 70-point game a couple years ago. Uh, but the 250s back-to-back was definitely impressive, and his pure scoring talent is absolutely undeniable. Hence the 43 position. And uh, I think a lot of his playmaking is a, a little bit more incidental than the numbers might lead you to believe. Uh, I would say he's average to maybe slightly above average in that regard for a two guard slash uh, combo guard. I mean, positions aren't really that important. Uh, let's get let's get this straight right now. There are three positions in the NBA, even though there are five positions on the court. Uh, you have your guards, your biggins, and your wiggins. Uh, you know, your guards, your wings, your bigs. This, it's not a league of one, two, three, four, five, or point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. Not anymore, at least. It's a, it's a league of bigs, wings, and smalls. That's all that matters. So, in the guard ranks, this is right about where Devin Booker needs to be. And if a he did evolve as a playmaker. He would shoot up this list very fast because that is a very valuable skill. However, he is only a average to maybe slightly above average in spots. Uh, at number 42, a uh, marquee example of the way that I value players with uh, this player being slotted above Levine and Booker, although he plays the same position. Uh, we have Buddy Heald, a uh, great example of how a less flashy but more well-rounded game will get you higher in my rankings, or uh, maybe I should do a little bit more branding and say the Hustle Points Top 100. Um, I followed his career closely for a long time, uh, more closely than, than other players by a lot. Um, when he came to the league, uh, in college he was shooting well over 90% of his shots from either three-point range or the paint. And so I figured he would walk into the league a modernist fuck scorer, ready to get his own. But that actually did not happen as a... He didn't exactly struggle, but he didn't perform well enough to be untradeable as a young player. And now, uh, in his late 20s, at 26, he's established himself as one of the better off guards in the NBA and had a great season last year where he put up 20 points a game and that is because he developed his mid-range game I know people say the mid-range is dying but it's actually kind of mission critical if you uh, want to have success in the playoffs or develop an all-around game and Buddy Heald is also not an abysmal defender not great not, not even good I would just say just average uh, not a liability and that does a lot of favors for uh, for me and ranking guys in the top 100, in the hustle points top 100. Uh, hence why he is over Book, over Levine, 
And I would be very, very happy if uh, we manage to snag Buddy Heald and fill in that two-guard position with Buddy Heald. Uh, again, when I say we, I mean Memphis. At number 41, we have Miles Turner, who is a DPOI candidate. Uh, a range of moves with the ball in his hands that allow him to score. A great 23-year-old big man who is only going to get more opportunities whenever it is that Sabanis gets traded. Uh, one of the tougher players to figure out because you watch him and you can tell he's limited because of that inexperience, not necessarily because of his body. Because his body is big enough, long enough, strong enough to give him the tools to be an elite player in the NBA, not just an elite defender. Uh, but he can power over guys. He can outlength guys on, on offense and defense. Uh, so I think he is a really great player, even though the numbers might not show it, where I think he only put up something like 13 and eight last year with around a couple blocks, but he is a incredible defender and is only going to become more and more established and contribute more and more to winning basketball as Indiana makes a push for not just the playoffs, but home court advantage this year. Looking forward to seeing the Pacers play this season. I uh, I'll say I said it once. I'll say it again. I am very eager to watch Jeremy Lamb, Brogdon, and Miles Turner <laughs> on the Pacers. At number forty, we have Trey Young. Uh, might want to call him Baby Steph Curry, although he's not the transcendent talent that Stephen Curry is. He is definitely a similar player in terms of style and substance in, t in terms of how they play, what they do on the floor, how they open things up. Uh, taking those super deep threes and making them is arguably the most valuable skill in the NBA. Because if you can take a defender and force him to guard you at 35 feet, that opens up so much for your offense in terms of being able to blow by him, have more time to make a playmaking decision when driving to the lane and just open up the paint uh, for your other guys to find a way to get in there and not have to worry about uh, weak side help coming from the ball handlers, man. I think that he is a great ball handler. Uh, the numbers show that he is an incredible playmaker, but I think he's just a very good playmaker. Uh, and, He's only coming off of his rookie season, and as we've said many times, great players tend to get greater from their rookie to sophomore season. I think Trey Young is very, very likely to do that this year as uh, Atlanta transitions out of rebuilding and into developing, which is a, a different stage uh, for sure. They have so much young talent that they're basically selling off draft picks, uh, even though just two seasons ago, when they traded uh, down and acquired more draft picks, uh, they were clearly rebuilding. Now they have so much young talent, they have so many draft picks, they don't know what to do with them. So it's time for Atlanta to start winning games. Trey Young is going to be a huge, huge reason that they start doing that. Looking forward to him transitioning from being hopefully a awful defender into just a bad defender. <laughs> uh, but he has the talent around him to compensate for that. And it's going to enable him to not have to stress about being a uh, non-abysmal defender uh, and focus on what makes him great. And that's being an elite offensive player.
At number 39, we have the Don, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Although he is young, Donovan Mitchell stepped into the league already an excellent scorer as a rookie just two seasons ago. He uh, bared the burden of being the primary scorer on a good but not great Jazz team who many people thought would take a huge step back with the absence of Gordon Hayward, who is grossly overrated by the community in general. Uh, but turns out he might be way better than Hayward already. Uh, last year, we saw more of the same with him thriving as the primary scoring option. However, we became more acutely aware of his limitations and how he can be the primary scorer on a great team. However, he's going to need a lot of other scoring talent around him in order to allow him to really flourish and contribute as much as he can to the winningest basketball possible. And I think that is going to be very key to him justifying this top 40 ranking in, in that he has Mike Conley on his team now to take some of the load off his shoulders on both sides of the ball. Very similar to the relationship of uh, Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, in my opinion, and that they're really going to bring out the best in each other. I think that they're going to help each other out in very similar ways. And I expect Mitchell's defense as a result to go from mediocre to average this year, as well as uh, him having an additional level uh, stepping up his efficiency on offense as uh, being maybe the secondary scoring option on this team. Because Mike Conley is a really fucking good scoring option. Uh, even so, it's going to be more like a 1A and 1B situation. They're a, they're a really good team in terms of playing uh, team ball. Uh, they have a culty mentality out there in Utah. So that scales to the Jazz uh, very much so. Uh, looking forward to watching Mike and Don uh, bring out the best in each other. At number 38, we have Toby, uh, Tobias Harris, who is a excellent supporting cast type of player. Average defender at best, but a remarkably efficient and well-rounded scorer. Solid rebounder, especially at his position. And uh, all in all, worthy of that max contract. Uh, max contracts are kind of complicated in terms of how people tend to evaluate them. You you would think uh, if you're an average fan that a max contract means that you're a top tier NBA player, but that's just simply not true. It's a product of the salary cap. It's a product of the CBA. And uh, that's why we have different max contracts for different tiers of players now negotiated in the most recent CBA to separate the guys like Tobias Harris's max contract and guys like uh, Rudy Gobert or LeBron James type max contracts. Uh, or uh, Chris Paul, who's not really looking so good now. Or John Wall, who's really not looking so good now. Uh, max contracts are complicated, but Tobias Harris is worth his. Uh, number 37. This is maybe a little bit controversial, but I've got Laurie Markkinen. And uh, he really showed spurts of greatness this year. Nearly a 20-10 and 10 guy, uh, getting 19-9 and 9 last year. And I think this year we're going to actually see that 20-10 and 10 type of performance. And he's finally going to prove that he is the best player on his team 
only in his third season at 22 years old. And uh, he's also shown that he has a really good work ethic and that he has the, uh, the ability to put on a bunch of muscle very fast, apparently. Probably using, you know, whatever it is that half the other guys who put on muscle that fast use. Because it's only, like, humanly possible to put on, like, an absolute hard cap maximum of 25-ish. No more than 25. But really more like 22 to 25 pounds of muscle in a year. No matter how big you are or skinny you were before, you can't put on 26 pounds of muscle in a year. Uh, unless you're in the point zero 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 one percent of the general population that has some sort of fucked up shit about you or you're taking some sort of performance enhancer but he definitely got a lot bigger last season he has a very well-rounded game on offense especially but he's not a bad defender either he's a uh, pretty switchy and uh, very athletic i'm uh, looking forward to seeing laurie markinen be the best player on a playoff team this year at number 36, we have Luka Doncic. Uh, what is there to say about Luka? I mean, he's just like Tatum and that everybody already talks about him so much. I'm not sure how much I can contribute to the conversation. Uh, but he's one of the most exciting young players in the league, despite his sort of slow-mo game. Uh, but at 19 years old, he averaged 21, 8, and 6 on 54.5 true shooting percentage. Uh, with some moves that really pop on the floor... Second best step back in the league, uh, only second only to James Harden, uh, should be a staple superstar in the NBA for the next 12 years if he wants it. Uh, easily, too. It could go beyond 12 years. Uh, this year, however, it will be interesting to see just how much he can carry that team uh, along with Kristaps Porzingis and if they have a shot at the playoffs or not because the team is really weak when you get below those top two players. And... Uh, Mark Cuban has said that tanking is a good thing, and so maybe they won't make a playoff push this year. Maybe they'll tank away the season one more time. You know, if Luka or Zingas gets a gets a tiny injury, they might fuck around and sit out 20 games or some shit. And uh, the Mavericks have a very slim chance of making the playoffs, but they have a chance, and most of that has to do with Luka Doncic. Uh, he's an elite player, has an elite feel, like we've already said. And uh, looking forward to watching Luca play. I'll probably go to Memphis and try to see him play at least once this year. In real life. Not through a screen. At number 35, we have Chris with a K-H. Chris Middleton. An elite 3 and D player. Crazy eyes. Like, crazy eyes. If you look at his eyes, they're that of a crazy person. <laughs> In uh, 2018... He had an incredible playoff series versus Boston, although they lost in seven, where he averaged 25 a game and was very consistent. He is uh, definitely at the bottom end of the threshold that is being the second best player on a well-constructed championship caliber team, uh, but he is in that echelon of uh, being that number two option. And uh, he quietly makes up for a lot of the deficiencies of Giannis Antetokounmpo, being that he's a great shooter, being that he's a great defender. Not saying that Giannis isn't, but you can't be the only great defender on the team and also shoulder most of the load on offense, or you're just going to be fucking exhausted by the time 
say the Western Conference Finals rolls around, you can be fucking exhausted by the time the Western Conference Finals rolls around. Even if uh even if you're James Harden or Damian Lillard, who aren't exactly known for their defense, but shoulder a huge load on offense. And after eighty two games and a couple rounds in the playoffs where games are more physical and exhausting, you can uh you can be gassed. And Chris Middleton enables Giannis not to be totally gassed come the conference finals. And uh, if Coach Budenholzer would just fucking play Giannis Antetokounmpo meaningful minutes uh, in the playoffs, then maybe they would have actually made it to the finals last year. I mean, they're up 2-0, almost up 3-0, but they just, they blew it, man. And I think Coach Bud is a lot more responsible for that, more so than... Giannis Antetokounmpo especially, but also more so than Chris Middleton being their second best player. 35 is a little high for some people, I think, but I think it is the best place for him. Uh, And at number 34, we have Kristaps Porzingis. Now, I know this, this might be a little high. But I, I suffer from muscle bias. I mean, while he's been out for most of the past couple seasons, he, uh, he has gotten really buff. <laughs> and uh, another unicorn-type player has the potential to be an elite defender with that crazy length and athleticism. Very soft touch on the ball. And I think he's going to look incredible and possibly even better than Luka this season. And um, sort of going to be Embiid-esque. Not quite to the same extreme degree. Uh, but Embiid asked in that he's going to return from almost a couple years off from injury and immediately be at that elite level of play where you flirt with being in the top third of the hustle points, top 100 players of the 2020 NBA season. So 34 is a very, very, very fair spot for him, in my opinion. Uh, definitely towards the upper end of the range that he is uh, justified being at. However, I think it is uh, an honest placement for him on this list. Uh, At number 33, we have Victor Oladipo with an asterisk uh, because he has that injury history. And um, frankly, he had the, uh, the proven problem of coming back from the injury too soon which may have factored in or even led to him getting the more dramatic injury that put him down for the entire season last year. I hope he comes back slowly and is fully recovered upon return and learns how to control his body in such a way to where he's not going so hard that he's going to blow out his quad again or what the fuck ever. Uh, He is a top-tier shooting guard. However, I think that... Uh, he's not quite good enough yet to be the best player on a championship team. He might be the best player on an incredibly well-constructed and deep championship team. Although, uh, if you believe in the superstars are necessary philosophy, which I don't personally, and, uh, here's a quick plug for you. You can go watch that video. Uh, just search for, uh, either no superstar necessary or one finals moment, and you can see a whole playlist of uh, similar videos, uh, of which I am one of, where I argue that the uh, 2004 
Detroit Pistons are a remarkable case study in how you don't need a superstar. You just need players to fill the role of superstar ball and making clutch shots, stepping up in big moments. And uh, Victor Oladipo definitely has the capacity to do that in his game. Although I think he, he really walks that line of being a, a bona fide superstar and a mere star, if you will. Uh, he could definitely be as high as 20 if he were perfectly healthy. Uh, but I'm just less optimistic with him than I am with a guy like Christoph Sportzingas uh, to indicate that his game will even improve uh, post-injury. I think it's more likely that he's going to take a slight step back because of how he needs to adapt his game in order not to get hurt. He's a sort of Rose-esque, but... Uh, Nobody's quite like Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was somebody that I really wanted to put on this list. Uh, I had him in like the 99, 98, 100 type range. Uh, but ultimately, I just couldn't justify it. And uh, he's a lot more unique of a player, especially in his uh, MVP days. Uh, in terms of how he just explodes in the most odd ways off of one foot and stuff. Oladipo has a little bit of that in him. Not nearly to the same degree but enough for him to be an injury risk. At number 32, we have De'Aaron Fox, who took a massive, massive leap his sophomore season and was the focal point of the Sacramento Kings offense uh, rather than Zach Randolph, like uh, who was the focal point of the Sacramento Kings uh, while De'Aaron Fox was a rookie. Uh, maybe the fastest player in the NBA, too. Uh, he's also a, a good defender already at the guard position at a very young age. Uh, I expect him to take yet another leap this season and continue to get better as he leads the Kings to an attempted playoff push. Him and Buddy might be the most slept-on backcourt in the league, and I don't feel the need to further justify myself putting him this high and uh, even over a guy like Victor Oladipo. I think the high to, to high 30s to low 20s is a perfectly fair range for De'Aaron Fox uh, for his upcoming third season. He is going to be a perennial all-star and an elite player someday. Uh, right now, he's just a star, but I think he has superstar potential. At number 31, we have Vucci Main, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, if you say he doesn't deserve his all-star nod, then you're a goddamn fool. I mean, he got 21, 12, and 4 while making threes and taking them at a, at a decent rate. Uh, more, more than one of them a game, <laughs> uh, which is just enough to make them respect you out there. Be that important stretch five. And uh, if if he were an elite defender, then he might just be the best fucking center in the league. Uh, but he's not. Uh, he's average in that regard. And uh, getting shut down by Mark in the playoffs is a uh, more so a credit to Mark Gasol than it is a detriment to Nico. Um, I want to talk about PER, uh, player efficiency rating. It's supposed to be sort of an all-encompassing stat in terms of uh, rating how good a player is. Although it is uh, not all-encompassing, no number is uh, anywhere close to all-encompassing. It's uh, 
humans are good at trying to measure things, but we are not perfect at it. Um, so PER is not the end-all be-all. Uh, a player like Draymond Green uh, had a sub-average PER last year uh, and has a barely average uh, PER over the course of his whole career. Uh, 15 is supposed to represent the average uh, in theory. And uh, that is right where Draymond Green's PER is over his whole career. Yet he is obviously one of the best players in the league. So PER has its problems. But for what it is worth, Bujimane had a PER over 25 last season. And if you have a PER over 30, then you're a basketball god. And he was flirting with that sort of range at, a, at having a PER over 25 last year. So if you say that he's not an all-star slash star caliber player, he's uh, then you're an idiot. Uh, he is the best center, maybe even the be best player, to come out of the Dwight Howard trade way back in the day. You know, the Dwight Howard, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Bynum four-team four trade? Nobody would have thought Nikola Vucevic was the best player to come out of that. But, uh... Turns out he was. He was a very, very unremarkable player at the time. But he has developed to be the best player involved in that trade, which I don't think anybody, literally anybody, saw coming. So respect Nikola Vucevic. Respect the Magic, who had a top-tier defense in spite of Nikola Vucevic uh, merely being average or unremarkable in that regard. Uh respect at number 30 we have d rose with a z demar DeRozan, uh a b plus version of kobe let's be honest uh last year was probably the first season in his entire career where he seemed to plateau or even decline uh otherwise he has improved year over year his entire career and he is a veteran now so it appears for him that means basically capping out at about the 30th best player in the NBA. He is the king of the mid-range, also an entirely well-rounded player, is even a decent three-point shooter, even though last season he had well under one attempt from the arc a game. That's a lot more of a product of Popovich, though, than it is a product of DeMar. I would love to see him increase that volume of uh, three-point shootings. Uh, I mean, he made, he only made seven over the whole season last year uh, on just 45 attempts. I'd like to see more of that, more three-point shooting. I mean, two years ago, when he uh, had a career-high number of attempts at 287, yeah, 287 attempts from three two years ago, and he shot 31% which is close to that magic 33% you need to be at from three in order to be the equivalent of a 50% shooter from two. Uh, so I would love for Popovich to get the stick out of his ass and let his guys shoot threes. Um, maybe it's more so him telling him, hey, don't worry about this part of the game. I don't even want you to emphasize it. I'm not saying he's necessarily saying, hey, don't shoot threes. Uh, maybe more so just enabling him to live within his comfort zone. And DeMar DeRozan lives in progress over the course of his career because he has gotten better year over year over year 
over year, over year, over year, over year, over year. <laughs> he is an incredible player. I love DeMar DeRozan a lot more than other guys. And uh, if he could just take more threes, maybe even step up his uh, defensive game, which uh, the Spurs tend to uh, do a good job of uh, developing, especially for players on the perimeter. Uh, he could keep getting better, but I think it's much more likely that he plateaus at right about this range of the uh, 30th best player. At number 29, I have his teammate and co-mid-range king, uh, LMA, LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, fun fact, you can't say LaMarcus Aldridge without saying Marc Gasol. And uh, it was really a coin flip uh, ranking him and Vucci Main, uh, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, but I w went and favored the long-term established success of LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan over Nikola Vucevic, even though they're all very, very, very close. And uh, as we get closer uh, to the top 10, top 5, number 1 position on this list, uh, the gaps in talent are going to become much and much smaller. The NBA is full of absolute top-tier talent, so... If you vehemently disagree with me about a player's position in this top third, then it's much more understandable, in my opinion, than in the bottom two thirds of the Hustle Points Top 100. Uh, so if you do disagree, leave a fucking review. Just, you know, give me, rate me five stars or one star. Well, I don't fucking care. Just rate me. And uh, let me know in the comments of a YouTube video or on Twitter, something. I want to know how and why you disagree with me uh, because it gets so much more negligible at this point in the list that it's a, uh, it's a lot more interesting to debate. So I think that LaMarcus Aldridge can sustain this level of play for a long time in his career. It's a uh, very low to the ground, uh, very easy to carry out in spite of uh, aging at all. Uh, looking forward to, I'm not looking forward to watching the Spurs. Who am I fucking getting? At number 28, we have Kyle Lowry, uh, dubbed the Little Thing King by Ben Taylor of Thinking Basketball. Definitely go subscribe to that YouTube channel, podcast, everything else. Uh, he's a very, very, very uh, elite basketball entertainment uh, figure in terms of his uh, b-ball IQ and the way that he expresses uh, his his b-ball IQ. He's sort of like the dead fucking opposite of uh, Scoutman. If you don't know about Scoutman, I'm not going to promote him further than that because he is a, a shithead. <laughs> uh, but Scoutman is awful at uh, expressing himself online, <laughs> even though he's probably in the top 1% in terms of a b-ball IQ uh, among basketball entertainers. Uh, ben Taylor is sort of the opposite of that. Not only is he in the top tier of b-ball IQ, but he is also incredibly good at expressing himself. Can't profess enough love for Ben Taylor over at Thinking Basketball. Uh, he recently did a interview on Fast Break Breakfast, uh, a show that shows me a lot of love that I would love to show more love to. Uh, I would definitely give that show a listen as well. Get inside his head, listen to how he thinks about the game. Uh, very intelligent guy. But Kyle Lowry, dominating force in the court, even though it's a, in a subtle way. Uh, he's the thickest boy in the NBA, 
a proven leader, plays super hard, and is uh, even smarter than uh, he than he plays. <laughs> um, he's plays smarter, even hard more than he plays hard yeah that that's the best way to phrase that i guess uh and both are very very high don't don't get get a get it twisted i love kyle lowry have for a long time he knows how to use his body in spite of being barely taller than kimba walker who no they're both super short guys uh and he had a career high number of assists last season and this that was despite having the lowest usage rate of his all-star tenure, of which he's had five straight. Uh, so if you don't think Kyle Lowry is good, then you probably cling to some narrative from a few years ago where, oh no, he didn't score in a playoff game. He must be trash. Uh, no, he might be the most underrated point guard in the league. I absolutely love Kyle Lowry and you should too. Uh, at number 27, we have Al Horford. Great defender, great IQ, athletic enough to rotate over on the weak side and provide good help, and gives Embiid fits. And uh, basically the post-Curry Shaq, I'm referring to, to Embiid. And uh, if Al Horford has the ability to shut down a guy like, maybe not shut down, but at least slow down a guy like Joel Embiid, then you know he's an exceptionally great defender. Uh, Philly getting him? was an incredible pickup, not be, not just because it maintains that uh, they're not going to bump into him in the playoffs or anything like that, so really nobody left in the NBA except maybe Mark Gasol that can guard uh, Joel Embiid at a proficient rate. Uh, that's not on the Sixers, <laughs> so good for Philadelphia. I love, love, love the fit. Uh, people question that decision to bring him on, uh, but... It uh, sort of has the same effect that bringing Chris Paul into the fold of the Houston Rockets has in terms of lightening the load for James Harden, uh, in theory. Uh, but it's really more about how Al Horford is the backup center and starting power forward. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers needed a great backup center more than any position uh in the on their whole team by far and away and now they have a top tier like the top tier the number one backup center in the league is al horford even though he's starting at power forward his greatest value is going to be when Joel Embiid steps off the floor and to continue playing great defense and also he's a very good playmaker uh from both the post and the arc uh, you can get a lot more out of keeping Al Horford at the top of the arc rather than Joel Embiid. You can stick Joel Embiid's butt in the post and have Al Horford or Ben Simmons make an entry pass into there. And uh, Al Horford is just as good, if not greater, of a threat from three. And I think ultimately it's just a perfect fit and it doesn't make any sense to me why people criticize the fit there. Uh, he's excellent at making pocket passes to cutters, uh, sort of Marc Gasol-esque in that regard. Uh, did I mention I love Marc Gasol? Uh, stretches the floor better than Embiid, and uh, Embiid can do more work down low because of Al Horford being on that team. 
man, this is probably the top end of the range that Al Horford needs to be at, but he could be all the way up into uh, the high 20s rather than the low 20s here. At number 26, we have CJ McCollum, another solid mid-range scorer, and maybe the best bona fide second fiddle in the NBA. Super likable guy, I love his podcast. Uh, proved himself this past playoffs as a true stud in this league, bona fide star. Uh, CJ McCollum is all around great. I mean, not much else more to say than that. Secondary playmaker is just fine at that, but really has most of his value as a scorer. And he's not a liability on defense either. Love CJ McCollum. He uh, is another guy that could possibly be justified being all the way up into uh, maybe even the low teens. At number 25, we have Pascal C. Yakum. Uh, you might think this is high, uh, but I am very optimistic about Pascal. Um, sure, he might be closer to his ceiling than the most optimistic guys. Uh, regarding Pascal Siakam are uh, thinking, but I, I I just love him. I think he has more room to improve and that this year the Raptors organization is basically going to hand him the keys as uh, they either rebuild or retool around him. Uh, he's basically a B-plus Giannis right now, and that is nothing to sleep on. Uh, plus, guys who pick up the game later in life like Pascal Siakam tend to get better and better even as they get older, uh, he's older than some people may think at 25, and uh, he's only entering his fourth season. And last year was his real coming out party. I don't think it's even remotely possible for him to make the same grade of jump from two years ago to now and scale that from last season to this season. Although I still think it can go from here to here rather than like, here to here. <laughs> uh, if you're listening at home, I'm holding up my hands. I promised I would keep this program high quality for you if you're a, merely a listener, but uh, I failed you in that regard, doing that with my hands. I'll try to be better, and I'm sorry. He, uh, when I say he, Pascal Siakam, obviously, uh, has the capacity to be over a 20 points per game scorer this year. Uh, he can make two threes a game instead of one if he would just have his goddamn feet set when he capped the ball. And that is a super, super teachable skill. Hopefully the people uh, in the Raptors development uh, training staff, however the fucking proper phrasing is there, uh, have the same eye for that trait in his game as I do. He very rarely has his feet set when he catches the ball, tends to have to make an adjustment on the catch and if he could be ready to let it fly on the catch then he could be a great three-point shooter make a whole nother three points per game and oh look at that puts him over 20 points a game so it's very very possible for him to be a uh, top 20 player in the league uh as well as a uh over 20 point per game scorer on top of his great defense and solid handle for a guy of his size and uh he can also guard five positions at like a really good rate. Uh, not top tier, but very good. If you think this is too high, again, just think about how the margins between the top third of uh, all of the talent here is slimmer and slimmer uh, the higher we go on this list. At number 24, we have Mike. The only Mike in the NBA 
that matters in NBA history. Honestly, uh, I can't think of another Mike that is really significant at all. I'm referring to Mike Conley, Michael Conley Jr. Uh, whatever his proper name this season is going to be. Uh, my man Mike is going to make Utah fans love him harder than they've loved other weirdos like Derek Fager, Derek Favors and uh, Joey Jingles. Uh, another guy who is on the uh, the fringe of being a top 100 player. Uh, Joe Ingles, that is. He has an elite feel, uh, an excellent defender, and has an unstoppable go-to move in that ambidextrous floater in the lane. Uh, that signature Mike Conley right-handed floater. I love it so much. Uh, I've been watching Mike backpack the Grizzlies offense for years now, and I think that he has been paired with Donovan Mitchell, and it'll bring out the best in both of them, like I've said a couple times already. And uh, Mike does not shrink in May and June. Uh, that's the playoffs. Uh, and he is a clutch shooter, too. And uh, if you think clutchness doesn't matter, uh, I think that's a little silly. I think some people overvalue clutchness, especially Kobe stands. Uh, but clutchness matters. And I would love, love, love to see Mike be the best ball handler uh, on a championship team, which the Jazz are a true contender now that they have Mike Conley. Uh, go Jazz. Looking forward to watching Jazz camps this year. At number 23, we have Kemba Walker, uh, who will also get a lot of fanfare, uh, more so than he has in the past, uh, now that he's in Boston. He's a dominant force on offense, uh, probably suffers the most uh, from dribble bias, uh, second only to Kyrie in that regard in terms of uh, garnering respect around the league. But he is an elite ball handler. The most remarkable player under six feet in the league for sure. I know he's listed at 6'1", but that dude is definitely 5'11", you know, just like Ty Lawson was back in the day. Uh, really, 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 really remarkable player. Also super clutch. Also has a good feel and can control the game with his ball handling alone. Uh, he will inevitably have his stats come down this year as he's not the only good player on his team anymore. Uh, however, he will remain elite and effective by sheer force of his offensive game. Compared to, Mar to, <clears throat> compared to Mike, uh, he demonstrates the difference between roundedness as a player uh, versus dominance on offense in favor of the dominance on offense uh, being more valuable than roundedness in some cases, uh, because he is just so good in that regard. Although he's not a uh, very good defender, he can even be a minus on defense due to that size. Uh, he is a plus, plus, plus offensive player and uh, is going to be as effective, if not more, uh, than a plus defender and a plus offensive player wrapped into one. Uh, see, that's three pluses versus two. That's 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 more, so it's better. Uh, at 22, we have Bradley Beal. Hopefully, he is freed from Washington this year. If they don't trade him, it'll be idiotic because he has every reason to walk as soon as possible. Uh, while he's there, he'll get tons of opportunity to get counting stats, and it's going to really make him look good. He's super underrated as a playmaker. Uh, historically, every time John Wall has gone down, he's basically stepped up as the primary playmaker and uh, not looked bad at all. Uh, 
underrated rebounder as well, and uh, does it all on offense. Uh, he's only 6'5 and 26 years old. Uh, may grow into the best two guard in the league in the next few years uh, if he gets any better, quite frankly. Uh, right now, he is merely an all-NBA caliber guy uh, who just is stuck on a bad team. Free Bradley Beal. Uh, I would love, love, love to see the Grizzlies trade for him. Even though he is six years older than our next two best players, I would love to see, uh, you know, a 32-year-old Brad Beal and a 26-year-old John Morant and Triple J uh, contending for a championship uh, in six years. Uh, at number 21, we have Drew Holiday. And you know how I said that dominance on offense can be valued higher than roundedness uh, in some cases? Drew is both. He is an exceptional talent. I mean, you watch Drew Holiday out there, and it's clear that he's one of the best guards in the league. Uh, definitely better than Kimball Walker uh, because of that roundedness and ability to dominate on both sides of the ball. Uh, he's a plus offensive player for sure, and a plus, plus, plus on defense uh, when he's able to be. You can't shoulder the load on both sides of the ball and expect to play at peak performance. And like I said before, now that he has Lonzo on his team, uh, he'll be able to really get the most out of his effectiveness as a player. Uh, he can be concentrating on the areas of the game where he's best. Uh, similar to Mike and Donovan on the Jazz. Similar to uh, and just a little bit of a Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell. No, fuck, that's from last year. Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker. Excuse me. Uh, Drew and Rondo both shut down the Blazers' backcourt two seasons ago in the playoffs. Like, hardcore, because they both can turn it on and play top-tier defense at the guard position. And uh, But most of that was due to Drew's defense, uh, more so than Rondo. Not to discredit Rondo at all. Rondo is a fine and good defender when he gives a shit. But not on the level of Drew. At number 20, we have Jimmy Buckets. He is going to flourish in Miami as the uh, number one option. Although I don't think he's good enough to be the best player on a contender if you believe in the uh, the superstar uh, school of thought even. Let's call it that. That's much more fun. Makes me sound smarter when I say that. Uh, he's definitely good enough to be uh, one of the top contributors on a well-built team that is managing to contending that is managing to contend, I should say. Uh, however, he's not a bona fide superstar. He can make clutch shots. He can be a great defender when he wants it. And he can be a great all-around offensive player when he wants it. Uh, he left a great role for him in his talent level in Philly as the second or third guy uh, who is mostly there to play good defense and make clutch shots and uh, be a secondary playmaker. Uh, so it will be interesting to see exactly how he fits into the Miami culture because I kind of think that he is actually not as good of a fit as a lot of people are saying. He is kind of self-absorbed, not really part of the, the heat culture, uh, which is supposed to be all about hard work, which is, uh, you know, hard work and, and teamwork kind of go together in my opinion. Uh, sure jimmy likes to work hard and that's that's his whole thing he made himself 
even more famous by actively and publicly criticizing his teammates work ethic in Minnesota and it got him traded uh so sure he works hard or at least he thinks that he works hard but if he wants to work smart he will learn how to play in a team concept which I'm not sure he uh he really does yet so it'll be very interesting to see how he does that in Miami at number 19 we have Clay Thompson who I know won't be playing. Hence, he has that asterisk on his name that you can see if you're watching on YouTube. Go subscribe on YouTube, please, for the love of God. <laughs> uh, but I think he is going to be just as good, if not better, upon returning from this injury. Uh, who has a... This is an opinion that has been reinforced by Ben Taylor. I swear I, I had this opinion before Ben Taylor said it, but I don't think the injury is really going to affect his game very much because he's not the type of player to make lots of quick shifts in a, in momentum. Uh, he's not super agile, but in spite of that, he still manages to be a very high-tier defender as well as one of the best shooters all time. Underrated handle, underrated playmaking ability, super smart player, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, maybe the best two-way two-guard in the NBA. And I don't think that's going to change upon his return. Hence, why D'Angelo Russell should probably be traded. I mean, sure, if you want to run a, uh, Clay Thompson at the small forward position next to Curry and D'Angelo Russell, I think that still makes basketball sense. And, uh, it's fine and good. But I think that Golden State is at its best when they put as much length on the floor possible rather than, uh, and when I say length, I mean like all around length. I know the depth lineup is all about being the, uh, the small ball lineup, which is, you know, in theory, maybe the opposite of length. But playing small ball is really about having switchability. Clay Thompson is a big reason that that team is switchable all the way around because he can guard the one through four pretty damn well. And, uh, Honestly, when you put him at the three, it sort of negates that a little bit because you're running out there with two sub 6'6 six, six players and D'Angelo Russell and Stephen Curry. Uh, so it makes those death lineups a little bit not as good. A lot of people are talking about how we're in like the post-death lineup era and how there's not really going to be a death lineup in Golden State anymore. Teams aren't going to have to worry about that. Maybe we start to see sort of a... Uh, a return to traditional basketball values where you have big men playing the four spot like how you see in Philly right now with Al Horford playing that position because 10 years ago when you put Al Horford at the five people say that it's not his natural position now you put him at the four and people question it because you already have a good five and it's like why do you need another five but no Al Horford was a four uh playing the five for most of his career uh, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Just because Andre Iguodala isn't in Golden State anymore doesn't mean we don't have death lineups to worry about. Small ball is, uh, going to have a lasting impact on the NBA, in my opinion. There's, there's not going to be any returning to having a guy like, uh, like Al Horford playing, playing the four for more than half of his minutes. At number 18, we have Ben Simmons, uh... The Australian B-plus version 
of LeBron James with no defense, excuse me, no jumper and top tier defense. Uh, a lot of that defensive value comes from defending guards with his length, but he can stretch all the way to the four spot. Uh, shout out to Cookies Hoops uh, for maiming the shit out of Ben Simmons being a power forward because, uh, hey, I mean, he has a lot of value at power forward, but he is just a big ass point guard, uh, sort of Giannis esque in that regard. But when I say B plus LeBron, I uh, mostly just mean his body and in terms of how he is a, uh, a point forward, if you will. But uh, if he starts shooting at any point in his career, he might just be Magic Johnson uh, before we know it. He has the, the coldest demeanor of any player in the NBA besides maybe Dame, maybe. And even though that's uh, Dame is at least a little bit emotive uh, compared to Simmons. So maybe not. Maybe Simmons is the coldest player in the NBA. Uh, he's the real robot in the league. Uh, fuck that Kawhi being robot noise. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure that Ben Simmons is into BDSM. Uh, number 17, we have Blake Griffin, who has an asterisk by his name because he's coming off his kajillionth surgery uh, on his lower body. Uh, if you would have told me eight years ago that Blake Griffin not only continued to perform at a high level post multiple injuries, but maintained a reasonable amount of athleticism and also developed hella skills like soft touch around the rim playmaking dribbling taking threes like he has such a complete game on offense and isn't really a negative on defense and uh he went from a guy who could just dunk into one of the most well-rounded players in the league and though he's not uber athletic anymore he is still athletic uh if he would just stop getting hurt in the springtime uh, maybe his teams would have more success uh, in the summer when it really matters. Uh, he was determined to drag Detroit to the playoffs, and he did it in, in spite of being injured. Sort of Kawhi-esque in that regard. Uh, uh, I, I really like Blake Griffin. Again, excellent ball handler and passer. Silky jump shot. What else more can I say? At number 16... Fellow Rudy, we got Rudy Gobert, the Frenchman, although he has never made an all-star game. Uh, the, the Jazz kind of have the two best players in the league who have never made an all-star game, maybe, in Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. Arguably the best defender in the league, uh, Rudy Gobert. And uh, he kind of crumbled in the playoffs last year, but I, I think that might have had more to do with matchups and coaching, less to do with uh him making mistakes or anything like that he's uh a fellow rudy so that that you know maybe plays into my bias just a little bit but he definitely deserves to make an all-star team so utah if uh if you exist uh please vote for rudy and mike to make it to the all-star game this year you have two all-star caliber players fucking put them in the all-star game at number 15, we got the Flat Earth Boy, Kerbing, Kyrie Irving. Uh, he's uh, kind of caused some ruckus last year. That was uh, detrimental to his organization. Uh, but we shall see how that goes this year. While he uh, 
sort of has his own little season in, in Brooklyn while he waits for his new best friend, his new BFF, Kevin Durant, to recover from maybe the worst injury that an NBA player can suffer. Uh, but regardless, he's still the dribble god of the NBA, makes threes at a great rate at over 40% the past three years, has the potential to be a good defender, but he really just doesn't give a shit about that side of the ball, which is understandable considering how much of the uh, the load that he feels like he, he bears on offense. Uh, I don't think a lot of that's going to change in Brooklyn this year as their, uh, their next best playmaker is Spencer Dinwiddie, who is going to back him up. I don't think they're going to share the floor more than five or six minutes a game this year. Uh, I just... I just wish you would unlock that good defender and bring it out all the time because then he'd be like a top 10 player in my opinion and not number 15. Uh, but he could easily be placed as low as 20 or as high as, to, as 10 depending on how you feel about the, uh, the intangible aspects of his game like his locker room disruption and how he's inconsistent on defense and dribble bias and this, that, and the other. So I think 15 is right fair right and fair i should say uh it's been two hours now so forgive me for maybe not performing at the top of my game uh but sitting right between rudy and carl anthony towns at 14 uh kyrie irving is a good spot let's talk about carl anthony towns uh an incredible force on offense like a generational type talent on that side of the ball Another one of these unicorns of athleticism, size, and skills uh, rolled into one. And uh, after Jimmy left last year, he really turned it on and even demonstrated some adequacy on defense, which was by far the most staunch negative of his game. Uh, despite his size, he was not a good defender up until uh, a few moments last year where he looked like he had the potential to be a good defender. That, that is somewhere in there. Uh, I would now consider him merely mediocre on defense. I would love to think that he spent all summer working on his defensive skills. Uh, if he did, he'd become a top 10 type player. Uh, but right now, 14 is right about the, the, the right place for him to be at. He has the potential to be a top 5 player down the road. I mean, he's only 23, almost 24, and entering his fifth season. I'm looking forward to watching Carl Anthony Towns just continue to get better. At number 13, we have Russell Westbrook. Uh, maybe the most polarizing player in the NBA. Uh, he has haters aplenty, uh, but can absolutely be an elite player on either side of the ball, uh, much more so on offense. Uh, sort of Kyrie-esque in that he only is a good defender when he gives a shit about it. Uh, definitely takes too many Curry-style threes. Uh, but listen, most of his shooting struggles, in my always humble opinion, are a uh, symptom of a rule change from 2017. If you don't know about this, I think this is fascinating. In 2017, they changed the rules to where you could no longer walk outside of the three-point arc while you are taking a, uh, a free throw or about to take a free throw. You can't have that be part of your routine. Unfortunately for Russ, his routine was sort of founded on walking all the way to half court and back in between free throws. Uh, they changed the rule in an effort to speed up the game, and as a negative 
consequence, uh, Russell Westbrook's shooting efficiency has plummeted, not just from the line, but from three as well. And uh, I feel like it's uh, sort of a confidence balancing equation because confidence is a skill, believe it or not, especially at the NBA level. You need to have super, super like arrogant level of confidence. Russell Westbrook has no problem with that in, in general. But in terms of managing it on the floor, uh, if you're failing in, in one regard where you feel like you should be succeeding, it's easy to try to make up for it uh, in a sort of arrogant way. And so he takes those Curry Styles threes, uh, brings down his shooting percentage. He's barely under 30% from three, though, which so it's definitely still in there for him to be a good shooter. Uh, playing next to Harden is going to be very interesting. I expect him to get better next to Harden, honestly, because it means that uh, he doesn't have to be the alpha dog. And I know he sort of handed the alpha dog keys to Paul George in many parts last season. And uh, I respect him a lot for doing that. And I think he's going to continue that trend and uh, let the slightly better player be the slightly better player in James Harden. And uh, hopefully that allows his shooting percentages to come up. I just, I really hope that he get, gets back to the 70s in terms of percentage from the line. And uh, plus he's got Mike D'Antoni now, who always is just like the point guard stimulus package. So looking forward to uh, seeing Russell Westbrook in the Mike D'Antoni system. Now, let me take the glasses off. Let's not even put them up on my head. Just totally take them off. At number 12, we have Draymond Green. And if you think that this is way too high for Draymond Green, you're wrong. You're just fucking wrong. Draymond Green is one of the best players in the NBA. He is the best help defender of all time. An incredible playmaker for a big man. He enables the sorts of death lineups that make the Warriors the Warriors and the most effective players the most effective lineups involve him always, whether it be at the four or at the five. Uh, Mark Jackson tried playing him at the three, which, I mean, proves that he is one of the best defenders in the league all the way around in terms of being able to guard uh, both one through five. Uh, but Draymond Green is just elite, and plus he's elite at the intangibles. I could go on about Draymond Green forever in terms of the intangibles, but he communicates super well on defense. He is a leader, uh, both vocally and just passively with his uh, questionable but effective screens. Uh, I just, I love Draymond Green so much. And if you doubt the value of those sorts of intangibles, like communication on both sides of the ball, like being a leader in the locker room, like being a distributing big man, and uh, on top of that, he's actually an okay shooter. If his fucking shooting form wasn't a goddamn meme, then he, we would be like, oh yeah, Draymond Green is a. It's nice that he can shoot too. But because he looks like he's wearing a fucking backpack when he shoots, we we think he's not a good shooter. But he is a decent threat from out there. I know guys sag off of him a lot because he has that reputation. Uh, but here is Draymond Green's most valuable skill. And I'll get back to the, the if equation that I started this thought with in just a moment. His most valuable skill is that people around the league don't respect him because he's a 6'8 guy who works really hard. And 
working hard is a sort of a, a backhanded compliment in the NBA because it implies that you're not talented enough to be as good as the rest of them and that you have to compensate for it by working really hard. But Draymond Green is not only an incredible hard worker, but he is super talented. One of the highest basketball IQs in the league. And if you don't value all of those things enough to justify him being exactly the 12th best player in the league, then you don't know basketball. You clearly don't know basketball. Hashtag YCDKB. Uh, shout out to Emio, NBA storyteller, uh, for starting the movement. Who uh, I just yeah I I need to uh, I need to square a few things away with Emio. In a is that a phrase square a few things away? Like I said, we're we're over two hours now, so please be forgiving towards me. Time to put the glasses back on. Be slightly less serious. All right. At number 11, we have Kevin. Just Kevin. Let's just call him Kevin. Uh, Kevin Durant has the asterisk by his name because he's probably almost definitely not going to play this season at all. But I think when he comes back, this is really about how good he's going to be. Is barely not a top 10 player in the league anymore. I, I know that he's an all-time great. He might be a top 10 player of all time, but an Achilles is a... I mean, it's literally the Achilles tendon. It's not only proverbially the hardest injury to suffer, but it is literally the worst injury to suffer through uh, as a basketball player. Uh, he's one of the best scorers of all time, a good defender, more influential than people realize. I mean, before Kevin Durant, who the hell was the seven-footers handling the ball like KD? There weren't really any. Uh, if you can name one, I'll just fucking wait. Pause, you know, do do that, whatever. Not pause, like the homophobic pause, but like literally pause the video and pretend I'm waiting on you to name a seven-footer that handled the ball like Kevin Durant before Kevin Durant. But uh, since he ruptured his Achilles... I think we need to scale back our expectations from him, and he will probably not be quite the same player, hence the rating all the way down at number 11. At number 10, oh god, here we go, James Harden. Um, let me just check my DMs with Scoutman, because he had James Harden as the best player in the league in his rankings, and uh, we argued about it. And uh, he decided to take the argument to the DMs because he didn't want to uh, suffer any public shaming, I guess, for thinking that James Harden is the best player in the league. A lot of people have a lot of respect for James Harden and uh, the way he goes about scoring his game. Scoring his game? Scoring and his game. Uh, but I don't. I, I just simply don't. I, I respect him in general, but I just I don't respect the way that he plays nearly as much. So let me go to this conversation and just literally fucking read it to you guys. Scoutman says he's number one. Uh, he says, why do you disagree? I say it ignores the fundamental problem of how he's built his game uh, so that absolutely it cannot scale to the playoffs. The one-legged three-pointer that may or may not be his saving grace uh, this season uh, could take him over the top and make him a top three type player because that's an unstoppable fucking go-to move. I mean, it's insane. So if you can knock that down consistently in game, uh, then yeah, he'll be a top three player. But until I see that with my eyes in game, 
I'm not sold. Uh, teams and refs can adjust to him over seven games. Uh, and then, you know, I don't, I'm not speaking a narrative here. Uh, he's, Scoutman accused me of like believing false narratives and like speaking in it, but I'm not speaking a narrative at all. It's true. You look at his numbers and at its, it, like they drop off in the playoffs and it is because at its core, he relies on doing things on offense, which are very unconventional to say the least. And this throws off defenses and referees in a single game during the regular season, sure. But over the course of a series, uh, both are able to make adjustments. And this is why James Harden's output goes way down in May and June. I mean, it's just ridiculous the way that people have so much respect for his trickery. And uh, if you want to believe that his output doesn't go down in the playoffs like fucking Scoutman does for some reason or another... Uh, you look at his career uh, per 100 numbers, and they consistently drop off more than other players in general at the playoffs. And uh, especially compared to top-tier players who also get a lot of foul shots, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, like Kawhi Leonard. I mean, these guys just fucking don't get worse in the playoffs like James Harden does. And so he doesn't deserve to be in that top five player discussion in my opinion that's why i have him at 10. uh let's see i'm trying to bring up the numbers where i uh compare them directly oh that's right or uh it's because they're they're in the defense they're in the fucking dms let me get back to those i'm in the in the public conversation between me and fucking scoutman now uh but let's see let me go up into the dms bring these out and uh yeah i'll just i'll read what i Ah, fuck it. I'm not going to read private conversations on my podcast. That's not cool. You get the fucking gist. Uh, James Harden is good. Great, even. Going to be historically remembered as a player that maybe even changed the game in, in like, a macro sense. Uh, but in the micro, he's the 10th best player in my book. No higher. At number nine, we have Damian Lillard, the second best point guard in the NBA, if you uh, don't count LeBron James as a point guard. Uh, elite clutchness and control over the game. Clutchness is a skill, as we've already discussed, and uh, he is a good enough defender not to be a total joke. Uh, he's gotten steadily better year over year his whole career, and I think we are at peak Dame right now. Uh, I th I think if the Blazers even barely make it into the playoffs because the West is so competitive, uh, then they have a chance at the championship because Damian Lillard is just that fucking good. And uh, even if they had like a messy season and become like the eighth seed and have the hardest path of the playoffs, fuck it, they're a contender because they have Damian Lillard. Uh, just hope that uh, this season that he gets some some load management, some of that sweet sweet load management uh because he broke down in the western conference finals he got gassed just straight up didn't have the energy to continue that level of performance uh, if he did he'd be higher on this list uh but he just couldn't play all the way through the western conference finals at the level that he needed to so if he could play like 70 games this year instead of 80 something or whatever i'd be much happier for him and uh looking forward to seeing him play in the playoffs at number eight, we have the man he drained the shot over, uh, PG-13, Paul George. Uh, 
Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and also the Alpha Dog on an offense with Russell Westbrook on it. Uh, that single uh, dual qualifier should speak for itself, uh, but I'll say a little bit more about him. Uh, he has a uniquely chaotic but controlled superposition contradictory uh, handle on the ball. Uh, he's a giant dude who can guard all five positions. And uh, his crumbling in big games and uh, in select playoff moments should be negated by having the ultimate Batman to his Robin now on the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard uh, on his team. And I think the pairing of him and Kawhi is just well, like chef's kiss. Uh, they, they, will, they will be perfect together and bring out the best in each other. At number seven, we have... Nikola Jokic, an MVP candidate this year for sure. Not bad on on defense, and uh, in, in most respects anyway. He's not super fast. Uh, has that low to the ground game, uh, but he's the best passer at the center position of all time, and it's not even close. Uh, basically, Mark Gasol and Pau Gasol merge together into one player, like Dragon Ball Z style, where they touch fingertips and merge power levels. Uh, that's Jokic. He's a super Gasol. Uh, he's also proven, uh, his capability to fill it up on his own, uh, on in the stat sheet and get his own offense in the playoffs and, uh, in his inaugural playoff run last year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Jokic have an MVP run this season. He is undeniably on, on pace to be an all time talent. Uh, if you think he's not good on defense, then you just suffer from slow footed white guy bias. Uh, he's, he's a smart defender. He's not athletic enough to be an absolute force on defense but he's good not even not even an average defender but like a good defender and on top of that he's like a like a quarterback out there running the 0.5 spot just throwing passes like we've never seen before like he's uncomparable to any player behind him like he should inspire players to figure out new ways to play and to play make he he is Absolutely incredible. Love Nikola Jokic. At number six, we have Joel Embiid. Uh, he has the potential to be the best player in the NBA someday. He's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate and an incredible force on offense as well. I mean, you look at the on-off numbers from Embiid in the playoffs especially, and it's clear that he's an MVP caliber player uh, without question and possibly even an MVP candidate in spite of having a very deep and talented team with uh, another guy who's kind of close to him in talent, Ben Simmons, and I say kind of close and kind of is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Uh, but yeah, in spite of that, he is a potential MVP candidate. Definitely MVP caliber, like I said. Super strong and big player. One of the most massive bodies in, in the NBA. Uh, he has a refined touch around the rim, and he isn't afraid to shoot from three at all, as we saw and uh, definitely the best full-time center in the NBA. And you will, uh, if you if you haven't figured out why exactly I phrased it that way already, you will very shortly. At number five, we have LeBron James. LeBron James. Uh, no defense during the regular season keeps him from going any higher on this list for me because, I mean, the the numbers say he's like the slowest player in the league or some shit on average. He just 
he doesn't give a shit about playing defense during the regular season. But he's coming off the most rest he's ever had in his career. That's going to be significant, especially come playoff time. And I think he might actually break 10 assists a game this year uh, by throwing hella lobs to Anthony Davis. And it would be the first time that happened in his career. He's one of the best passers of all time, so that, that should be within reach for him. And uh, fuck it, he cares about his legacy a lot, and that, that would be a nice little box to check. <laughs> you know, uh, LeBron is very aware of everything on and off the court, like acutely aware of everything. Uh, he, he's been a top three player, if not the best player, his whole career. And uh, this is the first NBA season where we'll see him not be that. Uh, and I think we'll get another year or two of getting that super LeBron performances in the playoffs. Uh, hopefully this year we'll get another 30-point triple-double average type of run through the playoffs on the Lakers. And uh, having Anthony Davis as his sidekick is uh, going to be really, really beneficial for him because he's a top-tier defender, Anthony Davis is. And uh, that is why he is ranked at number four. Anthony Davis, the brow. Uh, this season should be sort of the, uh, the torch passing between LeBron and Anthony Davis, uh, as potentially the best player in the league, uh, rating the brow at the best, at number one, the best player in the league makes perfect sense. Honestly, if you did it, I wouldn't hold it against you one bit. Uh, he's a lot like Kevin Durant in the regards that he is one of those giant unicorn type players that he's humongous and can handle the ball and has refined skills as well like a like a guard even though he's a seven footer and uh did i mention his talent on defense he might be the best defender in the nba all the way around uh crazy crazy efficient lob threat and uh he's gonna be pairing with lebron and ad on its own uh, like he's gonna be getting lob after lob this year even more than he already has in his whole career. The other 13 players on the roster, be damned, having those two guys on your team is going to make you a contender. And the Lakers have another two top 100 players on their team, according to me anyway. Uh, so yeah, yeah, fuck it. The Lakers are in the, in, the t in the running, not for a one seed, because I think there's going to be a lot of adjustment and they're going to lose more games than you might expect in the, in the beginning of the season. Uh, but come playoff time, they're going to be a contender as long as these two guys are healthy and playing. Again, the other 13 players, be damned. And uh, at least as long as LeBron is maintaining uh, being the best point forward of all time. Uh, I Side note, I, I'm, I, here's a fun conspiracy for you. I think LeBron fucking faked that injury. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been called the Alex Jones of, of NBA Twitter or just the, the NBA entertainment world <laughs> by a select few. And uh, this this is one of those things that, that makes me really seem like it more than anything else. I think he faked that injury. Uh, you gotta think, this is the guy that covers his mouth with his shirt and uh, talks to guys on the court because he knows the cameras are on him in order to have a private conversation. And uh, yet... He came down with an injury that can really only be described and diagnosed based on his description, as far as I understand it. And then he very, very clearly mouths the description of his injury during the first 
moment of having a national spotlight on him in what we all know is basically a lost season in his inaugural season as a Laker, where he didn't really have any good talent around him, and he was actively campaigning to get Anthony Davis back, uh, I'm not back, but in L.A. with him. Uh, if not publicly, then pseudo-publicly uh, behind the, the ruse of Clutch Sports. Uh, I, I think he, he basically saw the opportunity to get rest for the first time in his career, uh, make his career have more longevity possibility, and Anthony Davis uh, being able to uh, be his second fiddle for a year or two before LeBron James becomes Anthony Davis's second fiddle is uh, is going to enable LeBron to shoulder less of a burden a year or two down the road uh, where there's less pressure on him and maybe more pressure on the brow. Uh, ultimately, very smart move faking that injury to, to get the rest he needs to be able to perform longer and better in the playoffs, especially as he uh, enters his upper, upper 30s. I want to see LeBron play until he's like 45, man. It would be great. I would just love it. I'm not a LeBron fan by any means, but just seeing LeBron James force himself to be uh, in majority consideration as the best player of all time by sheer longevity is uh, going to be very interesting. It's something I would love to see happen. At number three, moving on from the Lakers, uh, we have Kawhi Leonard. Well, I guess it's not really moving on from the Lakers because... I mean, the Lakers had a shot at Kawhi. You had the chance to have the three, four, and five best players, L.A., and you fucking blew it. <laughs> uh, no, I think Kawhi wanted to be a Clipper because it's just a much more well-run organization, and they were basically recruiting him all year, sending guys to games to, to scout him like he's a prospect and not a, the youngest finals MVP of all time. Uh, we all saw what he did in the playoffs, uh, how the four bounces changed uh the four bounces with the blue tongue i i think people forget about the blue tongue uh, it became one of the biggest shots in nba history the moment it went down uh he can clamp down anybody he's the best one-on-one -on -one defender in the nba and uh he did it all on a bad leg <laughs> uh now he has uh his new partner in crime in pg-13 uh the clippers are for real they're very for real they're they're deep well-run organization good coach uh, two top 10 players. You can maybe consider the Kawhi the best player in the league uh, just because of the way he carried that Raptors team to a championship. Uh, I have a video essay on uh, on Kawhi Leonard coming out in the next month or so. Uh, it will be in October. It's uh, going to be about how he uh, really got his uh, everything he wanted. <laughs> he The way he used Toronto to to get himself to LA in, in the best circumstances possible. It's all very Machiavellian. And if you don't know what that means, then just look out for my video essay coming soon to a YouTube near you. At number two, we have Giannis and Nectacopo, Antetokounmpo, however the fuck you properly say it. Uh, de Defensive player of the year candidate, as well as MVP of the, the league last year unstoppable force getting to the rim. He's kind of like Shaq in that regard, in that he's just super, super fucking dominant, whatever the fuck that means. 
and uh, nobody can stop him once he gets within a few feet of the rim. He can Euro step from outside of the paint and dunk it. Like that's a unique skill. It's unstoppable. Probably the best move in the NBA until James Harden proves he can make that one legged three. Uh, the man won MVP and said, stop calling me MVP because he wants to get better and have that sort of motivation. Uh, if that jump shot starts falling from three, any clip even close to 33%, which is that magic number that I like to talk about, that's sub-average but still hyper-efficient. At any point during his career, but especially this season, uh, he shot 25% last year, basically made him when he was open about half the time. Might have taken two contested threes a game and then two open threes a game. I'd I'd not take my word for that exactly, but you know, you can you can look that up. Uh and you, know, you get one to fall, so 25%. If he can get that up to to making, you know, more of the open ones more often or making the contested ones once in a while, he will undoubtedly be the best player in the NBA and for a long time because he is just dominant, like dominant dominant on both sides of the ball. He does literally everything on the basketball court. He makes plays. He plays elite defense all the way around. He uh, dominates scoring. I mean, what the fuck else do you want? He rebounds at an incredible rate, too. He does literally everything. And yet, in spite of that, he's not number one. I wonder why that is. That's because, number one, we have Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry. Uh, If you think that... uh, you know, being more well-rounded and good at literally fucking everything outweighs the ability to fucking drain shots from 40 feet like it's nothing and to be otherwise very good in other aspects of the game other uh, rather than elite or top tier. Uh, because Stephen Curry is very good at everything else in the game too, not just making long-as-fuck jump shots. Uh, then you're uh, part of the, the well-rounded school of thought rather than the, the offensive dominance school of thought uh steph better that's all so thank you for watching the first ever hustle points top 100 you made it i mean this is a fucking marathon 155 minutes you did it you did it congratulations good for you i love you thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>